why it's so important for us as parents raising our children to be sure we're reminding them all the time they're worthy since the day you were born. here. My name is Isabella James and I'm here with Connor. Washington, sitting here with us today, telling us a little bit about her and her life story of her being a sister, a mother, an auntie, a daughter, being that mother perspective, and talking about a little of our culture and how it was back in the day and the things that they had to do to survive through that time. I don't know how to speak the language. I wish I did. But good afternoon, Danita Washington. My name is Celia. Belonged to my uh, fourth generation ago grandma on my mother's side, my late mother's side. And I'm here with Bella today. We're going to be talking about my mother's podcast. So it's new to me. We're going to talk a little bit, I think, about being moms when we were young and growing up. And and it just so happens I happen to be a mom at a very young age for my siblings. Yeah, I had to learn to mother. Never thought I'd have children of my own. Because this was like a birth control. My mother had so many children. I was her oldest child. And it turns out that I had a brother after me. But then I had six sisters after that. So I'm one of seven sisters and I am the oldest child of nine full blood brothers and sisters. And then I have two half siblings. Yeah, and those are brothers. So my mom and my late parents had a son on each end of their girls. So there's me, and then my brother Dean. And then there's Doreen, Vicky, Christy, Marcy, Geraldine, Laura, and my brother Jim is the baby of my my mom and dad's children. Later, my dad and mother's divorced, and, and uh, my dad remarried, and he had two more, like as if nine wasn't enough. And he'd married a young woman, so I think he was wanting to be sure, you know, to let her have an opportunity, and she wanted to be a parent. And so they had two boys, Dwayne and Daniel. And now they're grown up. And now Daniel has children. But for me, growing up was really um, a big, big responsibility. And to parent was an important job. And to make sure children were safe and taken care of 
in those days they wanted to be sure that children were not only safe for physical from physical danger but spiritual so there were things that my mother and my grandmother my late grandmother on my dad's side that we weren't allowed to um bring the babies out in public very much and we weren't allowed to pass the baby around um nowadays you'd have to worry about covid but really in those days it was really about the spirit what people were carrying around that you didn't want that brand new sensitive spirit to be um brushed up against and could pick up and so they wouldn't let us just let baby be held by anybody and everybody and you didn't bring, bring them out in public very much either until they were a certain age maybe at least 6 months so as newborns you were pretty well protected they also expected for us to swaddle them hold them love them yeah that they were important they had a place with my mother she had so many that's how some of my job ended up being but we became so wrapped up in trying to keep up with in those days again we're talking about the 1960s there were no such thing as disposable diapers so it was all cloth diapers so my late mother always had two maybe three babies in diapers all the time and of course there were no automatic washers and dryers and you either had to go to a laundromat or in our case for many years we had an old wringer washer and you'd have to hang the clothes out on the clothesline and it wouldn't matter what kind of weather when it was freezing we'd even hang them out and they'd come in we'd bring them in stiff as boards thumb out they dry out really pretty quickly amazingly and almost like a freeze dry i guess and then we could use them and she was used i don't know i bar ivory soap throw the whole bar in the ringer tub the ringer washer tub you know and it's going swish swish back and forth in this big bar all the clothes would smell really nice especially after you hung them outside yeah just very very fresh those days we had good fresh air too we all ate at the same time usually even with um with my dad's alcoholism and my mother said she was too but I don't remember seeing her drink but my dad was um a violent man when he drank he wouldn't hurt us when I was hurt my mother but she'd keep at him sometimes about stuff but um he had strict rules about being family and we had at least dinner together and he would always even when he was in his drinking days still was a hard worker he'd go on binges he'd be good and then he wouldn't be but when he was good we were always family and even though there was all this craziness we were still family and uh so we were pretty tight as brothers and sisters and as children growing up we had very few friends and it would be up to be the ones that lived closest to us and of course in those days 
that would have been the late Mike and and Polly Wilson's children, which is Michelle, Randy, Lorna, the late Carol, um, those children. The other children we grew up with was the late Elvin and Jeanette Casmer's children, Charlene, Donnell, Carla, and <clears throat> Beaver, the late Beaver. Well, we called him Beaver, but he was Elvin Jr. And they were part of Alaskan because of their mama. Our late Aunt Jeanette was from Cake, Alaska. And so we were introduced to then some of their foods, like seafood, uh, seaweed, I mean. And so sometimes dried seaweed would come down and we would get to try that with them. And we would build forts and stuff on the beach or we would be climbing our apple trees because we had an apple orchard. Oh, and the other children we grew up with, but we didn't get to spend a whole bunch of time with, was the late Nellie and John Solomon's children, which would be Mary Lou, Stephen, Bobby. Um, I think the other ones were too young, too young for me. But notice now I'm I'm listing names because these were huge families in that time. Uh, for some reason, Lummies had lots of kids. And I think some of it had to do with Christianity. You know, that they didn't believe, like in birth control. And so, <clears throat> taking birth control. And maybe it was just being introduced as well. say how was that when you first became your own mom good question was like when I did become a mother yeah I did finally become a mother I think I was 24 I always say they're twice miracles because I really didn't think I was going to have any as you can tell I went on and on about my siblings so yeah I do have children two children of my own um Lena and she's now finally a mother too and and has a two and a half year old and we that baby too is a twice miracle we didn't think lena was going to have children because she was then later in life too 30 something when she had sophia and samuel our son has two children Callan just turned 13 and nakaya we call her kitty and she's 10, I think. But they grow so fast. But as being a mother myself to my own children. I wasn't always present enough for them. I was either working now because it took Ron and I both to have employment too. Uh, make ends meet and it was a struggle to financially in those days too and we would live from one paycheck to another and that was always a challenge and Ron and I were determined that even to the day our children were born that they were wanted and they were planned there was no mistake almost right to the day I wanted them born, I planned. I wanted spring babies. I wanted to have delivery in this spring. So you have to be conscientious to know your body and how it works and when is the best time to get pregnant so you can have a baby in April, May, June. And so Lena was born in May and Samuel was born in June. And um, they're four years apart, purposefully so that they could each have their own time. That maybe I was trying to be this conscientious mother this time and be present in the beginning. And after going to work, it made it harder. But before that, I tried to be there as a mom for them every day, go through all the stages with them. 
But by the time Sam came, my second baby, it was full-time work. I tried part-time. I ended up having to do full-time. And it became harder. Harder and harder to spend full-time with them. <clears throat> Consequently, my sisters now were having children at the same time. Now my story goes back again to these siblings and them having children and them not having what they needed to be good parents. Ron and I took in nieces and nephews and our two children had to keep moving over to make way for their cousins because their parents weren't there for them for the substance abuse. So it's real hard nowadays as my children or as adults that when we spend time together or even when Fran will say to me, remember when we, and I go, oh no, I don't, I'm sorry. And it was a good time, but I don't remember. I was so preoccupied with being in my work whatever that was at the time, or with my sisters and their children in the courts, or the children themselves in their school, or the children in their needs and trying to meet the physical, spiritual, emotional need, or us trying to make sure how to figure out transportation or how to get from here to there and still support Ron with his career because he had a full-time law enforcement career and he was working for the federal government. And so we all this time we're moving and we're trying to, trying to keep all these pieces together and trying to keep family together because that's what the late grandma thought that we would take care of each other and always have family. And that's always what drove me, was to how to keep my family together. Not just my two children, but my nieces and nephews and my brothers, my sisters and their children. How do we keep them as family? How do we keep what we've inherited in the way of the family land, our inheritance to the winter ceremonial dances and the old smokehouse. And those were the other things that played a part, right? Or the deaths in our community and the expectations. How did we keep all those pieces factored in all of this time of raising children <clears throat> and all these responsibilities have been a long, long haul now we sit on this land that my grandfather and grandmother left us, always with us in mind of taking care of us. Now my brother and I are finally trying to position the paperwork so that our children are taken care of here on this land still. And we're finally going to finalize it. It's coming. We're finally, almost 35, almost 40 years of this, the land is finally going to be settled amongst us. And the cousins that inherited, which are my fair cousins, my dad's late sister was Rose Marie, and she married the late Bill Fair, and their children were um, Ardelina, we call Dodo, and young Bill, William Bill, um, who's now deceased, uh, Francine and Yvonne, the Lady Yvonne, Nadine and Patty and John. Those are my first cousins on my father's side, his sister, Rosemarie. My other siblings, cousins, because they are, they're like my, my first cousins, they're all like brothers, sisters. <clears throat> Uh, would be the late 
Elizabeth. She went by Brudevald. That's my dad's other sister. And her children were the late Christina, Luana, we called her. And I, she went by Brudevald. Later married Mr. Kinley, Thomas Kinley, and had Kristen and Tommy. And now I'm very close to them yet today. And then she later divorced him and she married um, Leroy George, the late Leroy George, and had Troy. And Troy's like my baby too. So still really, really close to these cousins. Try to be as much as we can as we did when we grew up. And my my late Uncle Victor didn't have children. And who would that leave then? Hmm. On my mother's side, she was Dutch, Irish, and German. She's a half-breed, so my, my late grandmother was Dutch, Irish, German. And her family's last name was Skank. But she was also um, part of the Mulford and Denny family, which were part of the original Friends Tears people that came into Seattle. So that's where uh, I guess we could be connected to the Denny family in Seattle from the road they called anyway. My own two children are a blessing. My grandchildren are a blessing. Really thankful today for having them and how beautiful they are and how successful they're working to be. Lena and Sam both now have families of their own and that we're working still to be family and whole. And even with COVID, we try really hard. I probably talk to him every day, just trying to touch bases. I have a lot of children in Lummi Nation that I'm very close to and that I try to stay in contact with daily because I want to help them to succeed in life. And I want to be there to encourage and support them. And we do that in lots of different ways, monetarily, emotionally, spiritually. As I did youth outreach to Lummi, for more than 15 years I worked with kids and families. And because my parents brought sobriety to Lummi in the late 60s, close to a lot of families because of that. And they used to take in people you know, to help get them sober and get a leg up in life. So, I feel very close to Bella in some other ways. My father was very close to your late grandpa. Yeah, lots of good stories, the late Armour Joe. Lots of fun stories, I have some about him too. And, uh, even on your Scarborough side, I have close relationship my dad used to be very close to and good buddies with the, uh, the late Jim Scarborough. And so Celeste and her siblings are in very fond memories when I was very young, but fond because we in Lummi, there were probably only 600 people when I was a kid growing up. Yeah. So we were very tight. Very tight. We knew most everything about everybody and knew stuff you probably wish you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, we have Tyson, and Tyson is speaking fluent, and he's one of our dancers from our old smokehouse, and and we just feel like uh, we're very blessed for his success and his choice of the way he's living. Very blessed with Bella and her family, her little family and her choices. 
and I, I love your daddy to death, Joe Fierce. I love Joe Fierce very much, and I hope he he gets it. Yeah, I hope he finds his way. He certainly deserves. Yeah. Thank you. I know. I tell my dad all the time. I'm like, you deserve to have a good life for all the things that you think you haven't done that you have done. Mm. I'm like, you deserve to live a good life, you know. It's, you have so much knowledge in you like you don't even realize. And I think that's so important. It's so important that you teach us. I think mm. sometimes people feel like they're not deserving. Mm-hmm. And certainly a lot of I think a lot of us Islamic people have been discouraged by the mainstream society and that really is really is weighing heavy and showing itself in lots of different ways where people's self esteem is low from you're not ever gonna be anything, you're never gonna be nothing, you know, told things like that by too many too many different directions in their walk of this life. And what's harder is to convince people that they are worthy. From the day you're born, you've been worthy. And I say that because I felt that way myself. That a song came to me and I recognized its category from where it come from. It was a working, healing, and I didn't feel worthy. And the old people would say, you're gonna get hurt, you know. In other words, it wasn't up to me. The spirit picked me. It picked me, I didn't pick it. And that's where the differences in our culture are. It didn't, it picked me. I didn't go look for it and pick it. It wasn't up to me to say, I'm not worthy. And that's, see, that's what's difficult for us as Native people nowadays. And why it's so important for us as parents raising our children to be sure we're reminding them all the time they're worthy since the day you were born. From the day you were born. And we have to unlearn all that ugly stuff that we've heard other people say be and do. <clears throat> That's not our truth. And it's trying to come to terms with that inside of ourselves, every one of us, and that's really what our spiritual walk is about, I guess, is that trying to understand this in here, our spirit, and accepting that it's the spirit that picks us and what we do and how we do it. And so everything we do with our walk in life will tell on itself by the way we walk amongst our people. So it's really important that we hopefully take the teachings of our people and walk what they've taught us because it will tell all of everyone really who we are and what we're about and good people for good people. I don't think any of us come here said I'm gonna be a badass. Yeah. Um, I guess a question I could ask how you how you're we're sitting here talking and I'm guessing um, how different it was for you back then? Like, I guess the things I'm hearing that I guess it could have been strict back then. So, like, how different it is in the home now compared to how we live now, you know? Because I know some of us are not so strict about culture and stuff anymore. So, what I've noticed is what I've when I've grown up, there was always this nonverbal expectation. Meaning, somehow I knew 
inside, either by the look <laughs> or a tone. It's usually a nonverbal something of expectation that your parent, your grandparents, or aunties and uncles have of you. Without saying a word. Nowadays, we don't take the time to engage enough or get to know our aunt, our uncle, our grandparents, or even our parents. Not just the child, but the parent too, taking the time so that that expectation, that nonverbal one, speaks really, really loud. And so, yeah, it could look like strict, but it really was of expectation. It was good, good stuff, you know. And it could sound rough, and it could sound harsh, but it was really, I want you to go sweep that floor, you know. Hear the tone? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and then they would add to it maybe, which made it worse. You're never going to be anything. But when we ask our children, go sweep that floor. And then you have to find a way that if you're not engaging them, how to go sweep that floor. Because they're learning more then about what sweeping the floor is about. It's what's happening between the two of you and then the things you can't teach them about the satisfaction of doing a job and doing it well. The outcome, you can't give that to them. You have to have the experience, right? You have to have the experience. So the, uh, the, to me, the parent's job is to provide as many good opportunities with guidance and support, good living, loving support, that when they don't know how to do something, excuse me, or they won't do it, that we find ways to help them to do it. And uh, strict, too, it could be like... Um, <clears throat> What comes to mind is with my late grandma and my dad's mom, my cousin Francine, I would, when I'd go spend time at my grandma's, Francine was raised by grandma. And so I'd go to visit and we'd laugh, laugh, and laugh. And my grandma would go, hush, you girls. Oh, we quit right now. And she'd say, you're going to go crazy. Of course, as young people, we, Bill raised her eyebrows. I'm raising mine. I did too at that young age. Later, Grandma explained, there was a fine line of that spiritual, fine spiritual line between that happiness and it carrying over to the other side of crazy. So in other words, again, there was something about moderation. Things within moderation that you didn't go extreme about things. Maybe not just laughing, but extreme about things. That everything was moderation and in some sort of balance. And that we walked ourselves, walked our way through life that way. <clears throat> My grandmother was always able and capable of physically walking from the house to the car. But we were always expected as young people, walk your grandmother out to the car. We didn't say, oh no, she can do it by herself. We grabbed grandma's purse and out in her arm and out we'd go with her get her in the car. But always something would transpire. Something would be said. Something could happen. That if you didn't take the time to be with her, you'd have missed it. You'd have never had it. You'd have never heard it. 
So there was something even as simple as that that was important and expected for us to do because there was something for us there as a treasure for us to not just have the memory of walking with her, whatever it was she was going to say to us and leave with us that was important to her and that later became important to us. Could be about the land, could be about something Grandpa said or did. It could be about what she wanted for me. It could have been future and what she wanted for the business or the land. And we did. I took many trips with her. Um, and so there was this unexpected or expected from her, but it was never verbal, that I would know about this land. But from the time I was seven years old, my grandma was taking me with her to the BIA in Everett. And we'd get there and she would go right at the front desk, the front window, I can remember. I want to talk to Mr. Earl Allen about my Indian land. And she'd always say it really firm. She was meaning business. Not mad. She meant business. I'm here for business. <clears throat> well, they would come and get Earl Allen. He looked like a, like a leprechaun kind of a guy. He looked kind of Scottish and kind of short with beard. And, and he took care of our realty stuff back then. And always this, it would be this way. And so later I got to work down there in that office um, while I was in college and knew Mr. Earl Allen in a different way. But um, always introduced and recalled, you know, my introduction to a really young age at seven. But it was always kind of like that. It was, and like I was saying with my dad about dinner, I'd still kind of, you know, that expectation of dinner is important still to me too today. Something happens at the dinner table. My late mother would say, whenever the table is spread, it's a spiritual table. When food is out on the table, for like you to come sit with me today, you and I are going to share a cup of tea. If we, my grandmother, my grandma is here, we would have had probably peaches and toast along with our tea. I mean, there was always something about the exchange of us and our visit and always, always over food that we're connected to the spirits at the same time every time we do that. So expectations and teachings are all integrated. They're so integrated it's hard to sometimes for me to oh yeah and there's this and then there's this you know and one by one they kind of come to me as we we do more of this kind of interviews and I was telling telling you last week I was interviewed about being age aging aging and graciously or something and uh, they did my did a portrait <clears throat> I talked a little bit about everything, again, much like this. And I will share with you that Ron and I are helping co-teach positive Indian parenting that's held on Tuesdays and Thursdays right now. <clears throat> and they met, they're meeting and finishing up, just finished up today. I don't do Tuesdays. I just do Thursdays lately because of my health issues and moving and activities and wanting to have other activities <laughs> and uh, they do from 3.30 to 5. <clears throat> so on Thursday, Ron and I will do a Zoom positive Indian parenting and we'll be talking about praise with um, the parents. We have pretty good participation and even Zooming is pretty good. We have good participation. Some of the parents are court-ordered to be, but there's some that are not. They just heard about the class and want curious. Some of them have children placed with them, and they're non-Indian, but they want to be able to know what they can do 
to encourage um, the Indian children they're caretaking and connecting them to community and to culture and ceremony. So Ron and I are working all the time for the last, let's see, I think it's going on six years, six years with the Positive Indian Parenting, also called PIP, yeah, for short. And um, we work with Katie Goger. And Katie used to work for uh, Bridget Collins, but now she works for Lumming and our behavioral health and um, is paid under a grant to help us do this curriculum. And the curriculum is done by um, Indian Child Welfare by the state of Washington, and they were a bunch of um, natives from all over the state that helped to build the curriculum. And we took the curriculum, and now we've lummy-sized it. Now we integrate our lummy pieces to it. So on nowadays, on those Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, we help to integrate and recall culture and ceremony into, like on Thursday, we'll be talking about praise. What did that look like, you know? And we find out that... Um, that there are no bad words in our language. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and when, and that children were never, never spoken to harshly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that was some of the stuff that we've learned ourselves as mm -hmm. elders and Aunt Juanita and Uncle Dave Jefferson are also helping co-teach that mm -hmm. class and the late Aunt Margaret Green used to help, and Aunt Ernestine used to help, and um, let's see, and now we have some young women that are stepping up, and that's a good thing, we're thankful, because we're not all going to be here yeah. one day, and something's got to, people have got to step up and take the place, so even Katie is going to have to be replaced at some point, so we hope it's a lummy person, and that knows what we were trying to do to continue keeping culture and ceremony and those old pieces here about we, the way we raised children, the way we were hoping to raise children. And uh, I was telling Daryl, it'd be good if we partnered up and filmed some of those sessions you know, with the permission of the other parents and and trying to uh, have this continuum so we have that cultural back and support and that people can refer to it, look at it and listen to it. We talk about brushing and uh, with cedar boughs and how do you, how to use harkmeen and uh, we teach them how to brush themselves, their children how to take care of their home spiritually to clean it out. Yeah, we try to try to integrate whatever the topic is for the week. And uh, so discipline, how would you discipline? You know, we have those conversations. What we do now, what are we trying to undo? And um, well, how did the old people do it? So one of the ways that was talked about was I remember a young woman that used to work for me. She said, I knew when I was in trouble with my grandma, she would shun me. If I was not meeting her approval. And she had told me numerous times and I still wasn't listening. She'd turn her back on me. She'd give me the silence until she could figure out. And now you're learning lots of things, right? How do you make amends, too, right? Yeah. How do you make amends? How do you make this right? How do you get her to talk to you again, you know? So she did eventually figure it out, but that's one of the ways of um, discipline. And some people don't talk about timeout um, anymore. I don't know how good that is or how effective. 
right now I can't think anymore. Um, are you all good then? For now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I just want to say Heishka and thank you for taking the time today for speaking with me and telling me a little bit about yourself and a little bit of the things that we had to go through and the things that made us stronger as indigenous people. So to my elder Danita Washington, thank you for all the things that you've done for us in our community. I look up to you very much for all the things that you've done. Love you. So Connor, I just want to say to you, when you get older and you're hearing this, I just want to thank you for all of the things that you've done for me that you don't even know that you've done. And I want to thank you for choosing me to be your mommy. And I'm so happy that I get to love and teach you and ground you into the person that you're going to want to be someday. And I can't wait to show you the world. And I can't wait to show you the things that I've never got to do as a child. I'm going to go take you to do those things. Not because I've never got to do it, because I want you to learn and experience those things. It's not about just having fun. It's about learning. Learning about the different parts of the world and the different parts of people that we don't even know about. The different cultures that we're going to get to learn. But also our culture as well. The day I had you, Connor, I knew that I needed to do everything that I could to make sure that you were going to be okay. And you are. A miracle. A human being is a miracle. It's a new beginning of something. I'm only 25 years old and I don't got everything figured out, but I know as a young indigenous mother that I want to be a part of my culture and I want to be a part of my people and I want to help my people and I want to help the children that are coming up. I want to learn my language and I want to teach my son our language. I want to sing and I want to dance. I want to do all of that. I want to learn new things all the time, every day. I just want to thank Daryl Hilaire as well, and Ellie, and Kyla, and Michelle, Cyrus, Teddy, Mark, Jordan, John, our new member, Santana, I just want to thank all of these people for being here for me. Natasha, most importantly, I just want to thank all of you guys. You guys were what kept me going, honestly, every single day. You guys continued to be here for me and supported me, no matter what I was going through. I don't think I can thank all of you enough. I thank you, my people. <sighs> thank you for being on this journey with me. And I want to thank you for watching me turn into the mother and woman and lady that I am today. 
and I can't wait to experience more. Haishka. To everyone that supports us and continues to believe in our podcast, we love your feedback and we will continue to put out more of what we're learning. This podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Indian College Native Connections, a grant funded by Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Music by Julie Lewis, Swill Canem, and Mark Nichols. Additional music from the Hilaire family. Disclaimer. The views, opinions, and content expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Center for Substance Abuse Prevention, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Resources. In case of an emergency, call 911. Lummi Behavioral Health 24-7 Crisis Line. one 360-594-1317 Lummi Victims of Crime Crisis Line 1-360-312-2015 National Suicide Prevention Line 1-800-273-8255 Mental Health 24-Hour Crisis Line one 584 3578 24-Hour Veterans Crisis Line. one 273 Dial 1. The National Runway Safe Line. one 786 2929 The Trevor Project LGBTQ. 24-hour line, 866-488-7386. Native Youth Crisis Hotline, 1877-209-1266. DSHS Report Abuse and Neglect, 1-866-363-4276. Crisis Text Line, text HOME to 741741. If you're in ever need and help or an emergency, call any of these lines. These are resources that will help you throughout our community. Haishka and thank you.